I've asked this question now um, each Sunday in the course of this series of messages at the start of this, each message, and it's this. What are you thinking about right now? What are you thinking about? I don't know. One of the things I'm thinking about is the snow that's going to come that's going to be like concrete. <laughs> Got to move that around. I wish I could say, oh, God, I just want to thank you for the snow. No, I don't. I want to thank God for the strength and the grace for the deal with it. But, but what are you thinking about? Here's something to think about. We don't need any more Christians in America. We do not need any more Christians in America. Let's start with these words that are shaping our thinking. Let's put Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 up there. Why don't you stand with me and let's recite these words together that we are seeking to commit to memory. And you can cheat and look because I'm probably going to cheat and look too. So let's look at them together. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things. And this is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So what is the most true, noble, just, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy thoughts? We established that last week that that thought is Jesus. There's an old song that says, Jesus, the very thought of you. Jesus. That's the starting place, Jesus. So, so here's the question that, that we must ask is, what do you think about Jesus? And, and we, we ask that question, and too often we answer it too quickly. We can, we can probably give the, the very good Bible answers or the what we used to call the Sunday school answers to the question of, you know, what do you think about Jesus? But what do you think about him? Yeah, you saw it, didn't you? Yeah, I did too. I was on Ever Turnpike. I was coming north and I was all of a sudden coming upon this car and I saw this bumper sticker. Do you follow Jesus this close? Quick disclaimer, I was not that close. Just so you know, I just want that to be clear, that I was not like right behind him. I was in the other lane, and I came alongside this car, and I saw that. Do you follow Jesus this close? I don't know, when I drove by the guy, he looked miserable, but I don't know if that had anything. He, he was just focusing on his good driving. But this morning, you could take that bumper sticker and you can slap it across the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, which is Colossians chapter 3. 
So if you have your Bible either on your device or your physical Bible with you and you want to turn to Colossians 3, you can do that. But you can slap it on this passage and ask, do I follow Jesus this close? And maybe a better question is, is can I follow Jesus this closely? Can I? So let's get into it. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And let's also, let's just read this out loud together. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, let's read it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, say that again, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So there's an old mantra, an old saying that gets kicked around, and maybe you have used it before too, and it goes something like this. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Right? Anyone hear that? Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But here's a question I have. What if we have it all wrong? What if what we need to be thinking about is this? Be so heavenly minded that you will become truly earthly good. Be so heavenly minded that you'll actually become eternally earthly good to our world. Because the highest and greatest thought is about God, which leads to the highest and greatest good. Why is that? Well, someone many decades ago said this. Adrian Tozer said, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. Remember we talked about mental maps? Okay. Were we able to extract from any person a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that person. What do you think about God? What do you think about Jesus today? You see, this is why that's so important. How important is this thinking? Well, in Psalm 16 it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Get it. I shall not be shaken. And then Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. All whose thoughts are fixed on him. Tony Evans put it this way. When you have a low view of God, your circumstances own you. That's a good statement, isn't it? When you have a low view of God, your circumstances own you. A high view of God says the crisis no longer has the final say. You know, I have that on a little note, little sticky, and I keep losing it, and I keep writing another one, and I stick it on my laptop so that when I open it, I'm, I see it sitting there. It reminds me of some words that I heard long ago from Dallas Willard that say this, the single most important thing in our mind is our idea of God. Single most important thing in our mind is our idea of God. 
So let's remember that. So let's go back to some things we've been talking about. The mental maps of our life govern our life. But here's the deal. Changing the mental maps, the ideas that form and shape us, is nearly impossible. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff. You have told us that we need to renew our thinking. No, no. We need renewed thinking. And that's why this passage is such good news for us today, because we need power that's beyond ourselves to experience a shift in our mental maps. We need, we need someone from outside ourselves to help shift our mental maps, to help us to navigate the contours and the detours of life in a Christ-like way with Christ-like resilience. And that requires what only God in Jesus Christ can give us. And that's why this passage is the best of news. Verse 1 says this, you have been raised with Christ. You have been raised, since you have been raised with Christ, is what Paul says. That's another mind-blowing truth. We, we had a mind-blowing truth last week when we saw Paul write, you have the mind of Christ. We have the capacity, we have the capability. We, God has built within us the ability, the capacity to think like Jesus. That's, that's mind-blowing. But we do. But here is another mind-blowing truth. We share in the risen life of Jesus. We share in his risen life. This is, this is revolutionary. This is radical. The, the, the truths we're going to share today, if you so choose, if you really want, if I really want, if I so choose, can change your life. They can change your life. Nothing more than this can change your life. If all we did was think about what we're going to think about today for the rest of our lives, this would change our life. If we didn't import any more biblical truth, this would change our lives. Because again, as my friend Dallas Willard says, I shared this back in July, by the way. God's presence is the whole story. This interaction between us and the God who is present with us always is what the resurrection is really about. The meaning of the resurrection isn't just that Jesus won. It is true. But the meaning is that he is now living with us. He's not a concept. He's not a religion. He's not a philosophy. He is the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the love of God who dwells with us right now because of the resurrection of Jesus. So allow that truth, allow that truth to fasten itself to your heart and mind. Allow it to fasten to our thinking. Hear it from Paul in another way. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, Wow. If the spirit of Jesus, 
If, if the spirit who raised, if the spirit who broke open the tomb, if the spirit who created the space where, where they stumbled in and went, where is he? If the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now get this. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We will find what life is actually about. I love the way Paul references it. There's so many places where you can look in the scriptures where it talks about this, but here's a different way. Colossians 1.29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ that so powerfully works in me. The energy of Christ that works in me. And here's what these words are. These words are the game changer. These are a game changer for us. This is so far beyond a label of Christian. It's something more transformative taking place. Hang with me. Think of it this way. Let's think of it this way. When you look at the Bible, next slide please. In the Bible, the label Christian is used three times. And fundamentally, it is used as a derogatory term. In that part in the Bible and in part of history. First time it happens is in Antioch in Acts chapter 11. So three times the label Christian. However, 260 times, 69 times, the identifier, disciple, which means a student or apprentice or a practitioner, that's used 269 times in the Bible. Well, what does that have to do with our world? Well, let's think about our generation. Next slide. The Pew Research Institute in 2021 determined that 63% of Americans identify themselves as Christians. 63%. But then there was another survey that was done, that was done by the Barner Group, and they didn't ask the question, are you a Christian or do you identify a Christian? They asked this question. question. Do you follow Jesus? 4%. Let that just sit for a minute with you. 63% say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But do you follow Jesus? 4%. Are you following Jesus? So, so which one am I? Which one are you? You see, what is the difference? What is the difference? That's the, what's, as my friend Bob Whiffen likes to say, what's the delta? What's the difference? Well, it's about choosing to think about Jesus differently. We heard it. We repeated it in verse 4 of Colossians 3. Christ who is your life. Say that with me. Christ, who is your life. And here's the beauty and the empowerment of this. In Colossians 1.27, it says this. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, another translation puts it. This is such Good news for us. 
At the end of last year, 2023 now, end of last year, last month, I read something that just captured me and stuck with me, and I wrote it in my journal on the first day of the year. Hear these words from Christy Lynn Wood. When I finally stopped trying to do it all on my own, Jesus smiled and said, now watch me. (laughs) I love that. I think we spend far too much time trying to do life in our own strength. I know I do. I, I wonder what would happen if I stopped striving and started resting and trusting and letting go sooner next time. What is the thing you are trying to make happen? What is it? What is it right now? You know what it is. Think about it right now. I know exactly what I'm thinking about when I ask that question. What is the thing that you are trying to make happen right now? Maybe it's even something God has given you a vision for. And you know it's his will. But can you release your own efforts and plans and let God take it over? Years and years and years and years ago, Oliver Strong, who's probably watching right now, gave me a business card. And on the back of the business card, he wrote out Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God. It is God. It is God Almighty. It is the risen Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in you. That's who's at work in you. What for? To will and to do for his good purpose. Why do we captivate every thought, as we saw last week, to the obedience of Christ? For his good purpose. You see, this is a game changer. This is a game changer when it comes to our thinking. Jesus Christ as life, as your life. Christ who is your life. When we release ourselves in our way to Jesus, the living Christ, and let's, it's so big I can't get my head around it. The actual resurrection power of Jesus empowers us to change the way we think. Maybe you're not convinced. She said this, anything that has changed Jeff as much as he has been changed is brainwashing. I quote directly Teresa Morales, a.k.a. my sister-in-law. I've shared this before, but let me just share this. Here's the truth. One of the things that happened in my life in coming to faith is my mental maps were redrawn around the life of Jesus. I want us to get that. My mental maps were redrawn around the life of Jesus. Now, let me be very clear. There are still aspects of my thinking, my mental maps, that are still under redemptive construction. And, you know, that old thing. We, I should probably walk around with a sign under construction, right? We, we all should. But, There are things that are still being sanctified. 
mental roadmaps that were formed from my childhood and my adolescent years, some scars from choices I made and some choices other people made that hurt me and impacted me. Those things are still part of who I am. That's part of my history. That's part of my life and even part of the redemptive story of God. I, I got to know that. But here's the good news. He is the living, eternal Christ who is eternal and as the scriptures say, what he began then, he will complete into eternity. But the way I thought about real life changed. My mental map about myself changed. And because my mental map about myself was, was so broken and misguided, my mental map about others was broken and misguided. About why people should serve me and, you know, I need to use them and all kinds of things. But the way I think about real life changed. The people in my life, the way I view others, the way I treated women, the meaning of commitment in marriage, what it means to be a father and a son and a sibling and a friend and a pastor, the use of my resources, the purpose of my life, the, the work I've given my life to, the way I view power and position, this understanding of the sanctity of all human life, the baby in the womb, the person on death row, the undocumented immigrant father who's just fleeing for the safety of his family. My dying mother last February, a year ago next month. Those who are unlike me. It altered my mental map. My mental maps were very different. The way I view my enemies. There was a time in my life when my fist would ball very easily and my temper would erupt uncontrollably. Thanks be to God for the sanctifying power and grace of the Holy Spirit impacting my mental maps. But I want to point to a distinct moment that is like a marker I look back on and I say, yep, that's where it started back there. I can see it. We were just we were brand new followers of Jesus and we were playing a Bible game. Anyone ever heard of the game Bible Tic-Tac-Noe? Nobody? Man, I just, yeah, I think, wow, that was probably around Noah's time. I, I don't know, that was a long time ago. It's, yeah, I, I tried to find the game and like looking at the box, I didn't want to get it because just looking at the box, it dated me and I just, but we were playing this game. It was one of the best games for a baby Christian to learn Scripture. It's called Bible Tic Tac No. And I think there's variations of it. But we were praying with our, playing with our friends Keith and Alan. I was in my last tour of duty in the military in Bermuda. And we were sitting at our kitchen table. Um, I'm glad Kathleen's with the children today because I don't want to remind her of this little thing. So we were playing the game. And I think what happened was I think I won, which was amazing because I had these two lifetime Christians in front of me and they were, they were getting it. And I won. 
And I jumped up and I let out an expletive-laced shout. I like swore as a Navy guy, which is what I was. And the moment, I mean, I was so excited, and I just like, it just came out, wham! And you should have seen the look on my wife and on these boys. And I covered my mouth, and I was horrified. And I began to apologize profusely, and I was trying to get those words back. But you see, that was my native language before Jesus. If you needed to peel paint, just let me speak. But you see, something was happening. I was reading the scriptures. I was committed to spiritual relationships and friendships and community. And I was learning about the life of prayer. So what was happening with all of what I've shared? What was happening? I, I didn't know how else to illustrate this for you. What was happening? This is what was happening. Set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things, for you died to that old way. And your life is now different. It's hidden with Christ and God. Christ who is your life. Now, because Jesus is our life, life is different. Hear this distinction closely. It is not believed to be different. It is not hoped to be different. It is different. We must get that. If Jesus Christ is our life, it means our lives will actually become different. It does not mean we will not struggle, and it does not mean we will not face struggles. It does not mean that we will not struggle with things like doubt and heartache and hurt, and it does not mean that we're going to have to deal, not deal with temptation. It does not mean any of that. But now those struggles are faced with the development of a new mental map. Eternal life with Jesus starts as we choose Jesus to be our life right now. And because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we sang that about that amazing grace today. Because of that, we now live differently because we think differently. Now hear this too as well, clearly. This is not a legalistic duty. That's not what this is about been there, done that, tried it, doesn't work. It's not just a form of behavior modification. I've had people tell me that, well, you know, really just what happened is you had some behavior modification take place. No, 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 no. It's not that. Hear these words again. Just hear them. Just take them in. Just grab hold of them. Open up your heart to the door that Jesus is opening up for you. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The Jeff de France translation goes something like this. Things are not the way they were because you are not the way you were. Things are not the way they were because you now are not the way you were. 
And all of that is rooted in what we think about Jesus. How and what we think about Jesus as our life changes everything. F.F. F. Bruce said it this way, since followers of Jesus share his risen life, their interests are now centered in him. His interests, in fact, become theirs. I would even go as far as to say this. If we do not think of Jesus as our life, if we're not willing to be part of the 4% that doesn't just label themselves as a Christian, but says, I am following Jesus right now. If we do not think of Jesus as our life, then do not expect any major shifts in our thinking. That's really important. We can slap Christian as a label on ourselves all we want, In fact, the Bible says, really, that even belief in Jesus doesn't change us. Do you know the Bible says the demons believe and tremble? Jesus himself changes us. That's why this is so radical. This is more than a religion. This is more than a philosophy. This is more than some theological construct, though you can probably fit it all into that. But to shift our thinking, it requires actually building our mental maps around Jesus as our life. Again, not the power of positive thinking or glass, half-fill, optimism, none of that. Religious platitudes, nope. This is opening ourselves to the door Jesus is opening for us to God's grace-giving presence working in our minds. It's walking through that door. So how do we do that? John Mark Comer has a new book called Practicing the Way, and I'm going to paraphrase him, paraphrase him a little bit here. But here are three things to think about, and you can expand these. It's like an accordion where it fits with your life. Number one, spend time with Jesus. Just spend time with Jesus. We're all at different places in this journey, but I want to tell you, it starts with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Regular, reflective, and applied scriptural reading. Silence and solitude in prayer. If you call it devotions, call it devotions. I call it my personal spiritual retreat each morning. Some people call it their mini sabbatical. But you, you need to, if you're going to know Jesus, if you're going to think like Jesus, you better spend time with Jesus. So spend time with Jesus, number one. Become like Jesus, number two. What do I mean by that? Well, let's start here again. Remember, this is God working. This isn't you kind of come up with some plan that makes you try to figure out how to do it. Invite the Holy Spirit to reform your mental maps. Start there. Gather in community. That's why this matters. That's one of the reasons why this matters. It really matters. Whether you're here or you're online, and I would encourage our folks online who are local to come here. Because there's something. It's, church is a contact sport. But it's in that flesh-on-flesh -flesh contact that we actually get formed and shaped in Christ when we see one another. So that's another thing. Gather in community. Embrace spiritual friendships. Spiritual conversations about this. If you check out our latest newsletter, you're going to see we have a new QR code that leads to a new devotional. We had one last week. We have a new one this week. So this past Tuesday, we put out that code. It's called Think Well, Live Well. 
So we also, when you leave here today, our ushers are going to have new little cards and new bookmarks. On the QR code is on the bookmark. You can take one of those. You can take the card, another card. Mine's sitting on my dashboard in my car. Uh, where's yours, by the way? And you can remember and memorize Philippians 4.8, but hand the bookmark to a friend and say, hey, I'm going to be inviting you to join me in this devotional. Five days, six days. Find someone who you can do that with. I want to encourage you to do that. There's something about becoming like Jesus that's connected to community. But begin by asking the Holy Spirit to do the work. Lastly, actively live the way of Jesus. Be a practitioner. That's what apprentices do. Apprentices learn by practice. That's what disciples do. Disciples don't just claim an identity or label. They seek to practice the way of Jesus. So become a practitioner. John Comer does say, if we're not being intentionally formed by Jesus himself, then it's highly likely we are being unintentionally formed by someone or something else. And that brings us back to the crazy statement, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's a false statement. We need to be so heavenly minded about Jesus being our life that we become earthly good by asking different questions. Some practical questions to help govern our lives that, that will actually make a difference from everything, from the way we treat people to the way we invest our time and resources. And here they are. Here are some, here are some questions. What are my most captivating interests? What is the lens through which I look at my life my relationships and my world. And as we talked about last week, you're the gatekeeper of your mind and your thinking. So you're the one who's controlling the lens that you look through. Remember that. And what are my ambitions? What am I really ambitious about? What do I really aspire to? Here's the really great news about all this. Like, you, you can just really be honest with God, even if you know it's not really what God wants. Just tell him that. What are my ambitions? What are my aspirations? Do they align with the way of Jesus? And then maybe the most formational question of all is this. Where do my affections lie? Now, Ash Wednesday, as Kristen said, Ash Wednesday is actually Valentine's Day. What a perfect day for Ash Wednesday. You want to talk about love. But I want you to think about a Valentine's Day card, for example. All right? What are some of the things that someone might say on a Valentine's Day? Things like this. You are my everything. Right? I can't live without you. Right? Well, you know, maybe we need to think about a Valentine's Day card for Jesus. Because the scripture we read today is actually love language. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. See that at the right hand of God. Set your hearts. Set your heart. Set your affections. Set your love on things above. And what is the highest, best, good thought? Jesus. 
With those words, we are saying, because Jesus is my life, my deepest and greatest affections are reserved for him. Set our hearts on things above. Aim high. Aim high. Jesus, who made himself low so that we can find him. So we don't need more Christians in America. We more need more people who say, Jesus is my life. And I am following him in real time. Let's remember those words one more time from Philippians 4, 8 as our worship team comes. Say them with me. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know where each one of us is on the spectrum of faith. But today, we just all have one prayer. Oh, Jesus, be my life. My life. Be my life. Not just a belief. Not just a position. Not just a relationship. Thank you.